Hey, you are listening to The Workplace Leader. This is the podcast where we go behind the scenes of corporate real estate, talking to industry experts about how they shape the next generation workplace. I'm your host, Sabine M. And in today's episode, I'm speaking with Peter Bauman. Peter is the Global Head of Real Estate and Facilities Projects at SAP. Hi, Peter. I'm not sure if you recall our first encounter as vividly as I do, because it was one of my first days at Locati in a product discovery workshop, where I was really impressed with your vision around data agnostics in corporate real estate. So I'm really happy to have you on the show. Good morning. Thank you. Everyone who hasn't met you, could you tell us what your role is and maybe a bit about your professional background as well? Thanks for the invitation and the opportunity. So yeah, I work for SAP. It's a big tech company, very large, a huge portfolio. And my responsibility is to lead a center of excellence with regards to workplace and project management as part of the corporate real estate functions. And we mainly try to tackle strategy, concept. We do a lot of research and knowledge sharing, and we try to anticipate the future of the ways of working. My professional background is I am one of these guys that kind of learned on the job. I started at SAP 20 years ago as a service associate in facilities. I fixed desk and distribute the post. And I then actually was, I guess, uh, to a certain extent ambitious and took up more and more responsibilities, took a lot of interest in project management. It was then for a longer period, the head of projects for EMEA. And we have delivered up to 150 different projects throughout the regions in abroad and um, established markets. And through that, I guess, I gathered a lot of expertise within regards of workplace and then was given the opportunity to lead the Center of Excellence. And since four years now, approximately, we have done a lot of efforts in, as, um, in, in assuming how the future will look like with regards to ways of working. And obviously last year, uh, with the big surprise of a pandemic impact, we learned that the, the working from home is not just an opportunity. It's, it's a real thing that happens out there. So huge acceleration and yeah, at the moment, I can't complain. Work is overwhelming, but super interesting and exciting moving forward. Now, before we dive deeper in the subject, allow me this question. When was your last time in the office? And when you think back, what do you miss? I don't really recall. I believe it was, I was in the office pretty recently, had nothing to do directly with, I want to go somewhere and work. It was literally to meet a few people right, and, and, and grab a coffee. I do actually work from home and in a remote mode since, I believe, more than 10 years anyway, given the fact that I have a regional role previously and now a global role. The fact for me to go to the office was always to meet the people that I know, that I want to drink a coffee with, just to, it's more to socialize, which ultimately triggers a bit my thought process. What will be the purpose of the future that we have these offices and we invest all of this money? And I believe really the, the why will probably get us to the real meaningful moments that we want to create, the purposeful element that why would people go there, commute and, and, and take all of this stressful moments throughout the day just to kind of work. 
I believe work is not a place, work is an activity, and we can really model about this opportunity in the future. Now, providing a bit of context, I think our audience probably knows what SAP does, but what's not that out there is how big is actually the real estate portfolio at SAP? What are you looking at? Well, got some got some interesting numbers. So the portfolio is um, approximately 1.8 million square meter of primary office space. It's a large portfolio. We have around 355 CRE employees worldwide. So we are quite a, a large team. Obviously, we also have an enhanced team with a lot of third-party support in different expertises. The team is out of approximately 80 nationalities, so we're super diverse. We serve 80 countries, about 216 locations, and about 430 buildings. And we have an operational budget of about 660 million a year. And we have, yeah, the CapEx swings, right? It depends, like obviously 2020, it was on the reduction, but it's between two and 300 million euro a year that we invest into refresh new spaces, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you mentioned mainly office space. Do you have data centers and stuff like that in your portfolio as well? I don't really know the numbers. There's a few out there because we also have a commitment to our customers that the data is with us, right? There are specific contractual commitments that we also want to follow up on, uh, data security, a big topic specifically in Europe, which we actually address with all data centers as well. I've experienced that split of spaces at Adidas as well, because the office and distribution centers and Sherms would be with a corporate real estate team. And then there was a retail real estate team because the retail areas needed to provide a different experience, a consumer experience that had another focus there. Now, you've mentioned the team, the CRE, the corporate real estate team, is 350 people approximately. How are you structured? And specific, more specifically, to whom do you report and who reports to you? We are structured in regions. So we have primarily four regions, uh, the Americas, the EMEA region, the APJ region, and Germany itself as a region because... You can imagine Germany with, I believe, 600,000 square meters only in Germany as the headquarters houses there, right? So um, that's its own region itself. Every region um, has a full empowerment of executive order in regards of, you know, doing the project, executing. And depending on where we are, they have different organizational structures because obviously we also want to recognize the different customer structures as well within our organization, but also the different market practices. My little team, Central Recon, I report to the head of real estate within this organization. And I am at SAP, we have like two paths. We have the expert path and the people manager path. I am on the expert path and I don't have direct reports. Acting as a center of excellence is really, um, I'm empowered probably in, in a way that if I go into a project, I own the expertise and I can actually, you know, inspire people. I can do knowledge sharing. It's, it's not that I have the empowerment to direct you directly. I need to do this over the inspirational and, let's say, pursuing path, which also is um, certainly a challenge. But the results are, I believe, more sustainable because once I get these people embracing what we want to commit to, they become their own ambassadors and the success is given by their action. A lot of that will come from the business initiative that SAP has put out there that they want to follow. Which 
are the ones that are driving the real estate strategy? We have that pretty well structured. So we have um, a business strategy, we have a people strategy, and then as a third piece, we have a location strategy. This is our circular element. And as part of these elements, we actually have three dimensions that we want to deliver towards, and that's the employee experience. So it's all about our stuff, the well-being, the comfort, the confidence in, in today's terms of COVID, the experience in terms of do I have everything I need to perform my job, to become my most productive self, and so on and so on. The customer experience, obviously, as part of our offices, we also deliver the customer centers. So we want to make sure that this is aligned with the business strategy coming from what is the experience that we want to commit to the customers. So we have large engagements on a central level, on a strategic level to identify where and how these customers sense in what dimension with what content are going to be provided. And then last but not least, we also have the dimension of the shareholder experience, right? So it, it's obviously also a cost element. This, with that said, it's very important. We don't want to just walk away with the opportunity. We want to make sure that we invest in effective and productive environments that, again, helps these other experiences also to Kenny. I want to just quickly go back to the employee experience. I believe it's very crucial there, especially there, that the partnership with HR has to be highlighted as well. It's crucial for the success of the employee experience that we have the right policies, the right culture transformation, the journey, that we also have the right management skills, specifically now transitioning into a more flexible world with you know, dimensions like where, when, and how we work but also to enable the people to understand what is in for them, what are the benefits, what are the trade-offs and the impacts that these concepts do generate. The collaboration with HR and the focus on employee experience is something that has changed and become increasingly important during last year, I'm supposing. I believe the change, though, is happening since quite a long time already. I believe this whole transformation, this outside-in change, It's a trend, it's a mega trend, happened since quite a a while. Uh, I feel like the war for talent kind of started this whole thing. I would almost say the war for talent is over. Talent has won to a certain extent. (laughs) It's amazing when you think of what companies have done, I don't know, 15 to 20 years ago for the employees towards now. It's a substantial change, a transformation. Companies literally would define where they are going to have an office to access new talent markets. They would completely transform the offerings, the benefit packages towards employees to make sure they have the right people that attract and retain talent has become a huge thing. Specifically in the technology market, there's a super high competitive market. A lot of talent markets are drained. We need to access new talent markets. So all these things... What happens, though, last year is through COVID, there was a huge acceleration of this whole thing out of nowhere. Like if you think of the resistance that we had to deal with about, for example, shared on environments, about home office programs, it's, you know, the discomfort zone, the challenge, the status quo was extremely big. It was a lot about hierarchy, ownership, status, yeah? And out of nowhere, everybody was thrown in the same bucket. We all work from home, and guess what? It does work. It has also impacts and consequences. I don't say it's, you know, the best of everything. I believe what we now recognize is really it comes together, it accelerates, and it's interesting that there is a push now also from the people that, yeah, I want to have access to this flexibility even post-COVID. 
So that's really where we have now our thoughts into how can we solve issues like where do I have now technology? Do I have technology in the office? Do I have technology at home, equipment, ergonomics, and all these elements? So we want to address this, and we want to make sure that we have a, a seamless, great employee experience that, again, addresses all these requests and this new needs from the employees. I see it a bit as that, that a lot of companies were ready for this and equipped for it and had been in this wave before. And for others, it really came as the big bang now. So now you go, here's the starting point. We'll try this. I guess that SAP as a tech company has been more on the on the wave already and better equipped naturally with the tools that you might need. I want to share a personal experience to that to that point. I would agree, like strategically and operationally and also equipment-wise, we were well equipped. But even though I worked 10 years already from home most of my time, I was surprised by the magnitude of what it means if now everybody works from home. So I always had this opportunity to kind of, yeah, I learned a bit everywhere and there uh, with these technology tools. They were all available. We had teams integrated well ahead of the COVID impact. We had SharePoint, we Office 365. So we well-equipped technology-wise. And obviously also there's a lot of learnings and educational knowledge sharing elements on our wikis that we have access to. But guess what? Who goes there and spend time, you know, intensively? And I, I went in, flew over, that's it. I understand it. But then once everybody was at home, it hits me. It was striking how how challenging this is. So I can only imagine how it would have been for companies that were not ready for that technology-wise. So it must have been an amazing journey. I hope most of them have learned a lot. I also, like, let's hope for the good impact for the future that that brought, because I also think that probably certain companies who have been behind us might be now ahead of. So it's really interesting. Like, I can't wait to have a post-COVID world where we start to kind of look behind and say, what just happened and, and, and how did that impact us? And if we can then reflect of, hey, how has that changed the way we work? I guess we're going to be absolutely stunned of how much better we have become in this digital environment. As much as it is difficult now and challenging, it is a huge opportunity to do things differently. It strikes me. It's kind of what, I don't want to go too, <laughs> too philosophical here, but it's kind of, such a human behavior, right? We have to be hit hard, fall on our butt, so to say, to stand up and realize, well, there is there is an opportunity. And I guess that's the beauty of it. I want to just underline here and just make it very clear. I am an absolute privilege to work in a tech company, to have the opportunity to live in this digital world already. So obviously there is a boost. For me personally, no concerns about, you know, existential issues, where if there is a lot of people out there, which there are, and I really hope for the good, and I emphasize for everybody to step up the plate and do in, you know, in this microcosmos the best possible to support whatever you can, local businesses, local people, but also consider that maybe also in, a, in the day-to-day -day job, right? I can think of many elements that we can also influence for the better. One of my first bosses in corporate real estate, he gave me a lesson I never, or an advice I never forgot. He was like, you know, in corporate real estate, we are in the fortunate position that whatever happens to the business, we have work. Because if the business 
has facing issues and needs to reduce cost, we will be executing on that. And if they're facing growth, again, we will be the ones looking for the space that they can grow into. So it's a, a very interesting industry to be in. I couldn't agree more. It's um, whatever we grow or we, we have to compensate and optimize. Uh, there is always things to do. I believe in terms of that, I want to respond to one thing. And I believe that's the crucial piece that also is part of this transformation. You know, there is this perception about who we are. The janitors, we take care of the lights or, you know, the HVAC systems or we lock the doors at the end of the day. And I believe there is so much more in it in, in, in regards of value proposition. And I believe what we as an as a organization, as a CRE organization, have to realize we don't take care about buildings. We take care about people. And what makes this so interesting is that we have to get so much closer in collaboration and in symbiosis with the HR departments. They are traditionally taking care of people, but in a not different dimension. And I believe we can just add value to this equation and become people caretakers rather than just janitors. And I believe that's something that we all have to internalize. This transition will make us relevant also for the future. Which is a really nice segue for my next question. You've mentioned the partnership and strong collaboration with HR. How do you run projects? Who are the stakeholders that are involved? And at which time do they get involved as well? You remember I said that the different regions are set up in a different way. So there is, for example, they have we have America's region, which, for example, have a specific group for customer experience, whereof now in EMEA, it's more related to subject matter experts. So it's more, I wouldn't say it's scattered, but it's like more in the expertise way. And then, for example, in APJ, we have a very slim team, which kind of relies much on third-party support. I want to say the following. I believe how we run projects, obviously, we have SAP in mind. As a company, we, we need to follow the, the three dimensions with the employee experience, the customer experience, and the shareholder experience. But ultimately, it's speaking of a project in regards of a real estate project, we're going to build a new office. GRF is primarily in the lead from the say, technical project management point of view. We have a steering. We have a very close alignment with the business on a regular basis. We do have our partners with like IT, GPS, uh, global physical security or uh, procurement departments where we gather the appropriate resources, we define stretch and we execute. What I want to say, I believe, is the people element. How do we involve people? Because that's the crucial element, right? You have this differently. You have the customers. So you create a steering committee for direction and decision makes totally sense. But what about the people? And I, I believe that's that's where it gets really Interesting because by doing people engagement in regards of workshops, for example, for determining the functionalities, the office protocols, the behaviors that we want to see in the office, that's really a people topic. And if we now get closer to HR and get them on board to determine these elements, we have an amazing journey to take the people on the path to success and also educate them and uh, make sure that they acknowledge the opportunity from a flex work program. So we have different buckets. It's, it's very diverse, but I would say we're not the traditional PMs. We're more like project coordinators that ensure that these different elements are being an integral part of our project execution. Quite important question in projects in corporate real estate. Who owns the budget? So first off, SAP does, right? It's a, it's a, yeah. <laughs> but I believe we in GRF, GRF is global real estate and facilities, by the way. I should have said that. It's our CRE 
corporate department. We own the budget. We have our own PL. There is a, I would say, a large uh, benefit to that. There are also challenges that come with it, right? Uh, think of, think of, in, uh, for example, of how do we manage customer expectations versus our budget? Always a huge challenge. How we address this? We, for example, have uh, recently implemented a location strategy, a central location strategy with a governance model that helps us to have these strategic conversations up front. The advantage in the budget is really that we have with that also the ownership on innovation capabilities inside. We also can make sure that we deliver, let's say, Henry Ford once had a beautiful quote, which he said, if I would ask them what they want, they would have requested faster horses, right? And I believe owning the budget gives you access to create much more meaningful moments on a much more sustainable way. The challenge is obviously, you know, we hear I need, but then ultimately that's more what I want rather than what you really require to do your job. So this is the bridge we're going to make. So there is an advantage to own the budget and it gives us also a lot of empowerment. And I believe it provides us a seat at the strategic table for conversations. Now you're more equipped to to make the decisions than in, in a way than if you have to fight for the money. However, I want to say the decisions are never an isolated thing, right? Decisions are always, because a business case circulates through multiple layers of the organization and is always a broad, solid basement between all different kind of stakeholders. Lies some kind of in the nature of corporate real estate that you don't make isolated decisions. Yeah, again, we take care of people and they need to be considered and obviously also the element of the business. So it's always a balancing act. Think of, you know, there is an ideal world out there, which we all acknowledge, the opportunity and everything, but there are also different priorities. It depends where you are, what is happening, what the market provides, what not. And I believe we got to consider these elements. But again, going back to the location strategy, it helps us to identify the gaps, to identify the deviations and to have a tangible conversation around it. And ultimately, in the long run, also be capable to adjust the location strategy accordingly. So there are now new opportunities by structuring that to a more tangible approach. So would you say then that the location strategy outlined and naturally staying within budget are the main goals or are what shapes your main goals or is there other things? Yeah, there are other things. Again, I mean, I would say, for example, the employee experience, right? We have a very well-established culture at SAP to be measured like as managers and experts with KPIs like employee engagement index or uh, NPS for um, customer NPS. And, and I believe this dimension comes into play. We've just now established a new survey for pre and post execution in projects, which takes the employee's experience as a new KPI into consideration. So we definitely have that as well. So again, I, I'd say we are much better set up now to be measured in the holistic way rather than just the PNL. What do you see as the biggest challenges that could prevent you from achieving these goals? I believe the triangle itself is a challenge, right? <laughs> it's this, uh, we all acknowledge that if we would serve, let's say, an, an, on a high priority on the customer experience and on the employee experience, we probably would impact the shareholder experience in a negative way. So I believe the challenge is to identify the right trade-off, right? The challenge also, I believe, is there is not one solution fits all. It's an illusion to have a location strategy in the flex work program that kind of 
packages the whole world in, a, in an elegant way. <laughs> Every case is different from each other. And I believe the challenge is to nurture a culture that we have this, let's say, North Star that we all aspire towards, but then also acknowledge that not every project is actually going to be executed in the full extent to this to these North Star. There will be deviations. And I believe that's one of the challenges. I believe the other challenge that we face is really a bit linked with the nature of who we are traditionally, right? Again, we are the facility managers, a lot of operational excellence that we own. We are super good. For example, COVID showed it, right? To close up these offices, to optimize the coast, to shut down the spaces, to reopen them. Wow, we did an amazing job. And I can't say how proud we should be of ourselves because all these confidence that we could provide. So this is an amazing job, but this is very much this operational excellence that we traditionally kind of, I, I call it our comfort zone, right? Owning a budget, making sure that we are coast fit, all these things. And I believe these new dimensions now bring some new skill set into uh, the equation that we have to establish first, right? And that's a challenge moving forward. How do I ensure that the entire organization till the last spear tip, right, has it internalized and can really you know, embrace this new environment and making sure that these new messages are transmitted in, in an appropriate form so they can also be appreciated by the customer. And that's a big challenge because that means we need to step away from, you know, we count desks and numbers and square meters to how do people feel? How do they? And that's a huge challenge right now. But again, it's, it's the opportunity and the journey that we're looking forward. A lot of work to do and I'm excited to take it on. One of the, the skill sets that's evolving for corporate real estate, I see, is working with data, being able to put data together, analyzing it. And in line with that, putting the right tools together and going for the right success metrics, not just piling up data, but making sense of it. What do you do in that regard? Which are the tools you use and how do you measure success with these? I actually must have a big laugh because I took some notes and actually the one challenge I noted was actually data. And, and, and <laughs> so thanks for thanks for adding that to the equation. Pointing that out. No, sorry. <laughs> no, uh, perfect. The data is is definitely a hot topic. I would say we can be lucky at SAP that we are a software company. We collect data since quite a while. We I would say we have a lot of solid baseline data that we can use. We have a, a BW, a business warehouse uh, out of REFX, which is our real estate management tool that we also go into the market. We we have that very solid. We have also utilization that we look into. So the data is available. We also have HR data that we can use, including a tool that helps us to, as part of the location strategy, to predict growth. That's coming from the business towards us over the tool. We also have opportunities with the survey tool, Qualtrics, to measure the, the more, let's say, subjective feelings about how do we feel about, how do we like it. So there's a lot of data that we collect, and this data is super helpful. I believe the one challenge moving forward is to make sure that this is not just data. It's going to be information that we can use. And I believe that's really where a lot of my peers as well stand, right? The data is available in most cases, but how do we aggregate? How do we prepare this data in an elegant way that 
you know, think about the experience for us, go on a screen, see the results, know what we need to do. That <laughs> sounds so compelling, right? But the challenge is really to get there. And that's, I believe, at the moment where a lot of priority and focus should go into to transfer this data into tangible information that helps us to move forward and to build the storyline here. And that, that's where we see the challenge. It's about building that narrative that also can live without or outside of corporate real estate when you go for your decision-making round. And speaking of that, who needs to sign off on the big decisions in corporate real estate? Ultimately, I guess, as we are a non-profit service organization as part of the overall picture, and I believe our job is not to primarily take the decisions, but I believe we have to prepare the decisions in a tangible form. Right. And under the given presets parameters that the business provides us. Ultimately, even if it is our PL, we are paid by SAP, right? And I believe that's what we never should lose out of sight. We don't serve our own egos. <laughs> we serve SAP as a corporate organization with business goals. And we serve our customers in the extent of internal employees. The people should be happy, they should be engaged, productive in our space, they should be healthy. And we serve the customers in terms of the business leaders. They have also their targets, their objectives to fulfill, and we need to enable them with the platforms that the office and the working environment can provide, and also the customer in regards of the stakeholders. Again, it, it's a triangle, right? So the decisions are taken under this context, but I see ourselves as decision preparations, Preparator, like we, we prepare the decision baseline, the decision ultimately is still then taken by the business. And then what would you say are the most difficult decisions to make? And on the other end of the spectrum, what are the most recurring or common ones that you kind of have the template for? I think the most difficult decisions are in the context of, is the decision going to help SAP? or to help individuals, right? It's very often you have this challenge of personal perception versus what really is the right thing. And I believe that's where the challenge is in making sure that it's actually not a difficult decision anymore, right? How to prepare the decision in a way that the decision maker does not need to be in such a situation. That's difficult and that's where a challenge is. But I believe right now for me personally, in regards of, for example, workplace, uh, how is the future is, is to make the decision, how will the future look like, right? We are in such an unpredictable world that makes it very difficult to build tangibles about, oh yeah, well, this is going to be the right size for our portfolio moving forward. This is going to be the right working concept. There's a lot of things we just don't know. And we don't know how we are going to be working in a year from now. It's literally unpredictable. And I believe with that, flexibility and adaptability comes into high priority. So I believe the difficulty now is to make decisions that keeps us as much as flexible, adaptivity possible to be prepared for the future. That's obviously a big challenge in decisions today. I think one of the big questions here then as well, and the difficult ones also historically has been, how do you decide on how much space you need? Do you have an approach for that? Yeah, we do, actually, which I believe is flexible and adaptive enough to also accommodate the potential future, which we can predict. 
And what we did is the traditional model very often is this, okay, we have XY headcounts, we apply shared ratio or, or parameters to determine the, the amount of workstations, and then we build some supplementary elements like meeting rooms, collaboration, et cetera. And then that's the right sizing. What we found, and that's the interesting part, is also pre-COVID that these offices were highly underutilized. So again, going back to my previous comments about the transition, which I believe took place already way before COVID, it was just not really acknowledged yet. And maybe we just were doing too well that these opportunities and over-efficiencies have not been activated, whatever it will be. But my take here is that for me, it's not important for how many people stuffed or how many workstations, because I don't, I'm not really paying workstations. I pay square meters. So speaking of right-sizing, what we do in the future or what we're now implementing is a concept where, first off, the bottom line concept is to provide a consistent employee experience on a global scale. Obviously, there are swings, uh, different regions, different locations, CBD versus suburbs that could impact. But ultimately, what we drive is to say there is the productive space. This is the space we work. And we have now some tangibles that we use. We have utilization numbers. Not right now, unfortunately. So we're using the pre-COVID one. We have a prediction of our employees with a remote pulse check where we ask our employees, what is your prediction post-COVID of how many days you're going to come back to the office? And then we have these growth numbers from the location strategy. So we aggregate these numbers and we have a starting point. We call that the utilized employee means how much people are coming to the office on a daily basis. That doesn't mean it could be 1,000 people stuff, but 200 are coming on a daily basis. What we want to enable now is a strategic conversation about for how many people on a daily basis are we going to provide this office environment. That's the first step, right? And what we do is then we don't give them workstations or column. We give them square meters. So each so-called utilized employee gets a square meter range of productive space. We multiply that. And that's the space. So we have the right sizing done. Now to the filling. It's almost like a recipe, right? Now to the filling, what we've done is we have created personas with the different board areas. And these personas just give, it's a starting point to give a floor in the ceiling towards the expectation of the different functionality. So in these personas, we have determined who they are, what they do, what is the expectation. And then we kind of give it a prediction on the different functions that we would expect between communication, collaboration, and communication. And that's a starting point. Now, obviously, it's just the floor and ceiling with ranges, so the local teams can adjust accordingly. The beauty of this approach is we give it a, a certain limitation, and with that, they need to trade off. So if they are saying, hey, we, can, we concentrate 100% of our time, well, there will be a lot of space to concentrate, but there will be no space to collaborate. That's not, never going to happen. But now we have this, it's almost like, you know, creating an avatar in a game, right? You've got 100 points, and if the player should run fast, well, he might not be the strongest and the opposite. And that's exactly how we want to trade off and balance this out. And that's also where the people engagement comes into place, right? Where we can now actually engage with them in workshops, in, in survey engagements, how to adjust the bar and give them a choice. I love this approach. We had some good experiences. I mean, it's also built on some best practices already. But I believe the transition now, and as you can see, if we now identify that there are offices that, you know, the, even there's 1,000 people, now there's only 50 coming. We have the same approach and we can drive the same results. Ultimately, what I believe, again, is the crucial question will really be why would people come to the office? And I believe with this 
determination of for how many people we're going to plan the space on a daily basis, we can actually raise this why. And, and that makes it so beautiful. And my experience is speaking to customers in these individual locations. They really can step up the plate. I have recently had a, a workshop feedback that this conversation helped them to understand how they can breach new talent markets, for example. And that's really where you can see the value proposition that we can bring to the table by providing, providing them a structure and approach that helps them to acknowledge the journey and the transformation themselves without imposing it. And building the playground with themselves, kind of investing in that. Now, this has been incredible insight. When it comes to workplace and those strategy and visions, who do you consult with and trust for advice and information inside and outside the organization? With the best out there. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there is um, yeah, also here, I believe knowledge sharing, I mentioned the regions. So we have now increased efforts to ensure that the best practices are spread across the regions, that we have, we have a way to capture them and a way to spread them and a way to share them. We have a program uh, that we, it's a central program that actually runs on Frontrunner. We have individuals that, including me, that take up regions that, that really ensure that whatever we learn in this new program implementation gets shared, gets uh, access. We have central platforms. There is a, a huge effort internally to ensure that this knowledge sharing is happening between the regions. We do work with a lot of external third-party consultants in many aspects. We have, for example, a real estate advisor, we gain access to the real estate market, to the market practices, to the trends. We also consult with architects, change management. So we have all of this. At the moment, there is not yet a centralized approach to many of these elements besides the real estate. What we're looking into, it's, it's, it's very much in the region so far. But there are now some thoughts of how can we optimize that, obviously. And then last but not least, what I did personally uh, encounter is that we're all in the same boat. All my peers outside SAP, I don't know, uh, you know, the head of real estate, the head of workplaces out there, they're in the same boat and they're all actually experiencing the same challenges. And I did encounter an absolute increased effort from all of these peers to reach out to each other and exchange experience. And I believe that's, I've never been more happy to be in this industry because I'm not alone. Uh, there's so many others out there. And it's just amazing. It's just, I have never experienced such an open and transparent culture <laughs> breaching, let's say, the borders of my uh, Cosmos SAP with regards of exchange. What are you doing? How are we doing stuff? And it's super exciting. And I believe that's one of my most crucial and precious sources at the moment. That's so cool to hear that with this uncertainty, we're sticking together, putting our collective knowledge and brains together to to establish what the future workplace environment should or could look like. We've learned that you've already been in remote work for 10 years and you've had exposure to a lot of employee voices on that. What do you think the future workplace environment should look like for you and also for your colleagues? I believe there's two elements that strikes me. It's the choices and the diversity. Choices in terms of the dimensions of where, when, and how I can work. So flex location, flex time, and flex workplace. That's uh, the three dimensions that we also have part of our program. But also choices in terms of 
workplaces itself, right? So, for example, I want to concentrate. I want to have the opportunity to be in a concentration environment, but also I want to be collaborating, communicating. I don't want to have maybe a chat with Sabine in a coffee and all these things. Now, very often we do have that already to a certain degree. So the behaviors and protocols comes into play. We, we need to, I believe we need to look at the offices like our living apartments and homes. Think of the bedroom. You wouldn't cook there as well as you wouldn't, you wouldn't take a bath in the kitchen. Maybe some people do, but in a, let's say in a, in a common sense, you wouldn't do that. So we are already very much activity-based in our day-to-day life. Why would that not work in the office? And the diversity, obviously, to support this. Uh, it doesn't help if I just have kitchens at home. I have to have a bedroom versus a kitchen and the bathroom to kind of... And that's how I look at the office. The future office should look like... It's a good question. I believe it should be immersive to the brand. It should be engaging and enabling productivity, creativity, innovation. And I believe that can be provided in terms of level of energy. Think about our previous pre-COVID offices, which were half empty. I always had an issue with this. I call them mausoleums, right? This half empty graveyards where... It was never really a compelling experience, right? And and I sense there must be a certain level of energy. So density is maybe the other equation of the range, right? So we've got to make sure they're not too dense because their well-being. I believe the environment should be an experience. It should be motivating me to go there. There should be elements that says, hey, today I want to go to the office. Even I don't have to, right? So they need to be purposeful. And I believe like one of the elements that we always praise is we need to make sure that we create these meaningful moments that enables all of that, right? It matters where you put the lockers. It matters to what direction the tables are compared to the daylight. It matters where the light is installed and how bright and what color the light has. It matters because it creates a moment and these moments should be meaningful and compelling to what we want to achieve. Going with that vision of the future, if you could magically solve any real estate problem, what would it be? I believe the data is one thing, magically solve the data because it's, it's, it's the starting point. It's not end of the journey, right? So I wish we would be further ahead with the data. I believe we are super well ahead already compared to others maybe, but I wish I would be even further ahead. <laughs> but that's also me, right? And in my visionary North Star thinking personality that I am. And also I want to go back to the transformation. I wish that my stuff around me have the same inspiration that I care with this element. And I sense the biggest challenge is there. You're literally going to tell people what you did the past 10, 10 years is not what you should do in the future. Anymore. And that's a huge challenge. So I wish if I could magically take away these fears, these comfort zones, this I want to remain, I, I don't want to change. You know, again, I, I'm super empathetic to people. And I know exactly how they, how they feel. I, I have a teenager at home. I feel like this every day, right? So I wish these fears and these holdbacks are going to magically go away so we can go on a journey. But it's part of my job to take these fears away. So maybe I need to be the magician to solve that moving forward. Yeah. Is that how you tell your family and friends exactly what you do as well, that you're the magician? Absolutely, yeah. And they totally believe me. 
it's funny because my daughter, I, I talked to she, she's now 15, but when she was younger, she was asked what my dad is doing. And she was like, I don't really know, but he's on the phone all day. <laughs> but it, it kind of, yeah, it kind of tell what I do. I believe I use the word inspiration a lot. And I believe one of my job is to inspire people to do the, the, the new things. I don't want to do say the right things because what they did so far was right too. And um, is still, so got to be very careful here, I believe, to do things differently. But ultimately, when I when they ask me what I do is I'll make sure that the people at SAP have a great workplace to work in and that they're happy, they're confident, they're feeling good in it. And uh, that's part of my job. Yeah, it's great that you have that, that human centricity looking at who the workplace is supposed to serve at the center of what you're doing and what you're striving to inspire. Last one from my side, who else should I talk to on this podcast? Good question. And I have actually two highlights that I would uh, you to, yeah, because I, again, I, I talked about this great exchange that I had. Um, there's no, actually four, four, sorry. So the one is Chris Hurd from First Base. Chris Hurd is a young entrepreneur. He was actually a professional football player first and then, I believe he's Australian. Then he, you know, insurance, it didn't work out. And he then funded a fintech company. I believe there were 50 to 100 people. And they decided to go fully remotely from a long time ago. And they figured how difficult it is to equip people with desk, chair, monitor at home, and how much liability and insurance you need. And he found out that actually maybe my business should be different. And he funded a company, First Base that it's almost like workplace, work from home as a service. So I am a company. I can order now on a monthly fee different configurations for my employees. And First Base as a company would take care of the delivery, the configuration, the operations, maintenance, and also then also of the, you know, taking it back, the whole package for a fixed fee for me. And guess what? Uh, he has become substantially successful through the COVID crisis. It was spot on. And Chris as well is a mindset that is so inspiring when he speaks. He has such a great vision to how we're going to work in the future. Give you one example. He clearly states that he don't see there is hybrids possible. He says either we all work from home or we come to the office. It's an interesting statement. So I, I feel like you know these challenges could be nurturing some new thoughts. Steve Todd from NASDAQ is the head of corporate real estate from NASDAQ. But he also has funded an organization called Open Sourced Workplace. He has a YouTube channel. And I'm almost craving for new content on a daily basis from uh, Todd and the people that he speaks to. Absolutely spot on, refreshing, amazing conversations. So a lot of inspiration that I take from there. I have... Steve and I said we have now regular conversations. We don't really have an agenda. We just meet and, and talk, and it's amazing each time. There is John from uh, Johnson & Controls that I will love to link you up with. Johnson & Johnson, sorry. They have implemented FlexWork program since already years and been very successful with it. And he was one of the major drivers. He's now, he's now in the development of a location strategy, so we can now exchange on the other hand because we have that a bit more established probably. John Shee, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking to him next week. There you go, Jackbox. Because greeting from my part, he's he is such an inspirational person. Is amazing. He has such a knowledge base on this whole flex work. Absolutely stunning. 
And then one thought that come into play, and why don't we speak about these topics with customers and consumers, which means the employees themselves. And that doesn't have to be the full hour, but, you know, maybe a set of employees or talents that are seeking for jobs and expressing their expectations, their views on the future of work as well, because I believe that's where, you know, we can close the loop. Yeah, that was just a bit what I sense could be a good recommendation for you guys to continue on this podcast series. The consumer talking to consumers is actually not the first time I hear this. And I think it's a great idea to to include that side of it as well. It was a real pleasure to talk to you as always. Thank you very much for being a guest on this show. Well, thank you for setting up, Sabina. This is a, is a great honor and uh, I'm more than happy to get reached out to from peers. And uh, as I mentioned, this network, I can't wait to get some additional context with exciting conversations moving forward. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's work together to build the future of work. Absolutely. I believe, you know, good, good end point. And I mentioned it before. I don't believe we can do this in isolation for each and individual. I believe we have to peer, we have to exchange and we have to share these these learnings. And it's a unique opportunity, as you mentioned multiple times. And we can also be glad that there are startups and companies out there like you guys, which uh, provide tools and platforms that helps us to enable all these great storylines. Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Workplace Leader, there's more. Go visit our blog and have a look at some of the other topics we have covered. Currently, you can download your own decision-making canvas, for example, or tune into our next episode of The Workplace Leader.